det er så mye som sies om Midtøsten at jeg bestemte meg for å reise ned hit for å oppleve det selv. Og Israel er et sammensatt, mangfoldig og bemerkelsesverdig land. En smeltedigel mellom øst og vest. Her er det kristne, jøder og arabere som lever sammen i et demokrati som er over 60 år gammelt. Dette skal bli veldig spennende. Israel er forbløffende moderne og velutviklet, og ligger midt i Midtøstens fantastiske landskap. Alle disse landene er forholdsvis nye, da det ottomanske riket hersket her frem til slutten av Første verdenskrig. Det var i hovedsak britene som delte opp regionen i ulike stater. Israel ble på ny en nasjon i 1948. Ikke mange år etter Saudi-Arabia, Syria og andre fikk sine grenser, Jordan ble dannet og Libanon opprettet som en kristen stat. Vi skal snakke med en av Israels dyktigste diplomater om mangfoldigheten og den jødiske minoriteten som også er en del av denne historiske veven. Israel er en så divers land, og du føler deg så at hjemme når du kommer her. Yet, we see at home uh, in Europe that uh, they focus a lot on the conflicts, but could you please explain a little bit about Israel? Of course. Uh, you are absolutely right when you say that in Europe there is a tendency to focus on the conflict. But Israel is something totally different. Israel is a relatively small country. It's much smaller than Norway or other countries of that size, but the diversity is immense. It's a diversity not only in geography, but mostly in human beings, in the people that you see and meet in Israel. You meet so many different experiences, people coming from different places, and all forming together this Israeli nation. It's a unique experience. It's an experience which finds its expression also in culture, in gastronomy, in lifestyle, in high-tech, in a variety of issues. And at the background, we have what I think is the most beautiful country in the world. I find Israel to resemble Europe in so many ways. Uh, and thinking about the fact that so many of the Jews that live in Israel today and have made this such a modern, high-tech, uh, beautiful place, clean place, excellent roads, you feel like you are in Europe. Uh, and so many of the Jews that live here today, like I said, they actually did come from Europe as well. Is there a strong kinship between Europe and, and Israel? Of course. Uh, um 
to take you very briefly on a kind of a history lesson or history tour uh, of the Jewish people. We lived here in the very same places in which we live today. We lived here 2,000 years ago. And then we were exiled by the Roman Empire. The Jewish people was exiled and was dispersed all over the world. You can find Jews from Yemen and Ethiopia and Russia and Canada and of course lots of Jews who lived during those times in Europe in Germany, in France, also in Scandinavian countries and in other places. Some hundred years ago it started a movement called Zionism which is the political platform which enabled us to realize this dream of coming back home. And what we are living now is a miracle. It is a dream come true that after 2,000 years of exile, all our people come back together in order to rebuild the land of Israel. Each of us bringing with him or with her his own specific heritage, culture, tradition, coming from the different places from which we came. So a lot of us came from Europe, and of course we brought also a lot of the European state of mind which is very important and you see it also in the streets, you see it everywhere. We live in a time in which Christian minorities have a very troublesome moment in the Middle East and this uh, really saddens many of us very much. We hear stories from uh, Syria of crucifixions of Christians and uh, as ISIS and other groups are um, of jihadis, Sunni jihadis in that area show very little tolerance towards uh, minorities of all different kinds. Um, what is the situation for the Christian minority in Israel? Well, the Christian minority enjoys exactly the same rights and duties as the majority. Uh, Christians here have a totally free, open and equal life. And so do Muslims, by the way, and other religions. We also have a Druze community here. We have a Baha'i community which uh, plays an important role. They have a very important center in the city of Haifa. And the Christians here enjoy total freedom of cult and belief and they are equal citizens. Uh, this is the only place in the Middle East in which people can feel totally free and can pray and exercise their own right of religious freedom. I know that uh, Israel also has a, a large number of Arabs as citizens and there is a rumor, I think it's true, that uh, when one of the prime ministers of Israel actually was uh, judged in a, in a court, uh, for doing something wrong. It was an Arab that actually sent him to jail. Is this true? Yes, it is true. It is true. It is true because we believe that all men are equal before the law and we have a deep and total respect in our justice system. And in our justice system, just in, as in any other system in Israel, you have also a lot of Arabs. Uh, we have Arabs also here in the foreign ministry who serve as Israeli diplomats. Uh, you have her Arabs in high positions, in hospitals, in schools, in the police, in the Israeli police, uh, and in other such places. Uh, we do not make a distinction between Jew and Arab or Jew, Muslim and Christian uh, when it comes to what a person can achieve in life. 
Uh, you have also a significant number of Arab members of the Israeli parliament, and they play a very important role in that context. So yes, it is absolutely true, and I think that it is totally normal. As an Israeli citizen, I was happy to see that justice was given, and I did not, it did not matter to me whether the judge was Jewish or Arab, because I have full trust and confidence in the person who serves as a judge. ser hvor mange forutinntatte meninger vi har, både politisk og ideologisk, om både jøder, araber, kristne og andre minoriteter, hvorledes vi dømmer deres liv uten egentlig å ha kunnskap om deres verden. Vi mangler godhet og vennlighet og ydmykhet i møte med andre kulturer. Vi har mye å lære av hverandre. Dette er gamle Jerusalem, en by som er dokumentert, kalt Salem, helt fra Egyptetiden for 5000 år siden. Du vet at David gjorde denne byen til sin hovedstad for det jødiske folk rundt 3000 år før Kristus. Og siden kom muslimene rundt 6-700-tallet. Og her har det vært noen lykker, alle mulige, som har levd og hersket over denne byen. Så dette er en by som på en måte eies av alle. Jerusalem, en by som er flere tusen år gammel, og det er utrolig å se så mange folkeslag som lever sammen, og så mange ulike etniske grupper, her er det arabisk, hebraisk, mange språk. Vi beveger oss mot den verdenskjente klagemuren som ligger midt i Israels hovedstad, Jerusalem. Ovenfor ser vi Al-Aqsa-moskeen og den gullforgjulte klippedomen som regnes som verdens eldste islamske byggverk. Hit kommer pilgrimer fra hele verden. Man blir ydmyk og liten i møte med historien her i Guds hellige by. Man værer til stedeværelsen av en sterk, åndelig kraft, og jeg dekker til hodet av respekt for stedet og for skaperen. Når du 
when you look at the maps that were created after First World War, you see that the borders of Syria, the borders of Egypt, the borders of Jordan, all of this was put into place in a time span of between around 20 years. Uh, and then you had, of course, 48, where uh, the State of Israel came into being. Uh, so all of the countries in the region are fairly new and their borders being new. Uh, this makes me wonder also why there is so much criticism to the state of Israel. I'm thinking about Lebanon, for example, was created as a country that would provide uh, room and space for the Christian community in that area to separate it from Syria. We belong to this land for 3,500 years. We existed here long before the First World War and long before Lebanon and long before Syria and long before Europe was Europe. We created here, we wrote the Bible here in the period of time in which Europe did not exist. There was no European civilization. And we are coming back home to this place which is ours. Uh, we are more than willing to share this place with the Palestinians because they also have their rights and those are legitimate rights and we think that despite the fact that the country is small still it is good to share it between Israel and the Palestinians but we do not need to demonstrate our particular link to this land which has existed for over 3,500 years. It surprises me again and again to come to Israel and to find the diversity, the lovely food, the kindness of the Arabs, and then you have a Jewish people, and people living together in a, in a way that you do not get this impression when you are in, in Europe. And this brings me to, to the question of, of, of the media and the role of the media in, in, uh, in, in portraying somehow Israel as a state that once you come here, you find to the contrary that we have much to learn from Israel. This is true. The image of Israel in the media and particularly in Europe is a very bad image and it has nothing to do with reality. Uh, I've asked myself this question often because it has to do also with my profession as an Israeli diplomat. Uh, I think that it is related also to a process of simplification. For European journalists and editors, it is very simple to say Israel equal conflict and then to put everything under the conflict. Maybe it sells better newspapers when you bring images of destruction or conflict and not stories of day-to-day -day successful and tolerant life. Uh, this is possibly that. Then there is also an anti-Israel lobby which is very strong uh, in Europe which includes also and one must say it very clearly a part of the Muslim populations living in Europe who push in an anti-Israeli direction. Uh, we can see it in a variety of countries in Europe. It is true that we have a conflict. We do not ignore, and I am not trying to push aside the fact that we have a conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. But this conflict is not the representation of our existence. We live, we create, we do wonderful things here. We notice that there seems to be a war of information uh, against Israel. I'm thinking about the uh, post-Gaza war now. 
where it seemed that the Western and also Norwegian journalists were flocking basically outside the Gaza hospitals, taking pictures of children and women coming into there. I mean, we hardly saw pictures of anything else than women and children, which is really, really sad that there are victims of such a sort. But one wonders, I mean, there's so many Israeli soldiers dying, there are so many Israelis being hurt, uh, and a situation with the rockets and everything causing terror and trauma and a very difficult situation, the tunnels. Uh, one doesn't hear anything about that. Why is that? Because it is probably less interesting to the world than the story of the Palestinian. Why? For a variety of reasons. We are the only country in the world whose legitimacy and right of existence is, is challenged. People conduct debates, should the state of Israel exist? People tell us, I recognize the right of Israel to exist. And then I tell them, okay, and I recognize the right of your country to exist. And then they tell me, but I don't need your recognition. And then I say, I don't need your recognition either. We exist as a nation, as an independent people, regardless of whether people like it or not. We tend to notice that the European countries and socialist countries, one must say, um, have a tendency to support the Islamist movement, maybe out of a thought that a revolution like we had in the French Revolution, we tend to enjoy the revolutions or, or find that a lot of good will come out of those. People understand everything. They are ready to accept everything. Just as people were ready to understand Nazism in the 30s, they are ready to understand Islamism, extreme Islamism nowadays. Because they are, uh, 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 the European, particularly the European left, those are nice and liberal people, so they think that possibly there is some truth in whatever anybody says. And they are looking, you know, and saying we must listen to everybody. And I say no. You must not listen to everybody. When a person is a Nazi, when a person is an extreme Islamist, there is nothing good in what he has to say. There is no truth in what this person has to say. Would you say that foreign powers outside the region and their meddling into Israeli and, and Palestinian uh, problems uh, actually help create the situation and make it worse? Well, it's hard to say. We welcome the intervention of powers who look at the situation in a positive way and who want to help us find a solution. Because sometimes one cannot find a solution alone. It is a very complex conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. It has to do with the city of Jerusalem, with drawing borders, with the question of settlements, of refugees, a million other issues. And when there is a positive intervention, then we view it in a very positive way. In that context, I would like to, to, to remember also the positive Norwegian intervention in 1993 and the Oslo agreements. So this was a positive start. Afterwards, it turned into a disaster. But it was a positive start. So if the intention is good, and if the intention is to find a good solution, then we welcome uh, uh, our friends from all over the world to come and express their opinion. Uh, but we need 
this peace because it is good for Israel and it is good for the Palestinians. We want peace and we know that peace comes with compromise and we are ready to pay the price of compromise. So what we need are people of goodwill who can help us and the Palestinians reach good negotiations. Would you say that foreign powers such as Norway, for example, we, give, we have given a high amount to, to, to the Palestinian authorities, that we actually help provide funds for people who are killing Israelis and uh, having a culture of jihad? Well, I would say there is a very nice uh, European proverb. Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, one questions, where does that money go? And where is the accountability? Why isn't there uh, a larger question regarding the accountability uh, of all this funding? Why isn't Gaza and the West Bank long ago wonderful places to live, considering all these enormous amounts of money that goes into these areas? This is an excellent question but you are asking it to the wrong person. This is a question that you should submit to the spokesman of the Palestinian Authority because they have to tell you what is it that they have done with this money. I have no idea. The last election I believe in Gaza was 2006-2007 in which Hamas was elected. When one looks at the West Bank with Mahmoud Abbas, it seems that he just inherited this role and there hasn't really been proper elections in that area as well. One wonders, since one looks at Israel, that you have elections and a proper democratic system, how come the West, which is so eager these days to impose democratic and changing country after country in the Middle East, how come one doesn't uh, require uh, proper elections in these areas? When you look at democracy, and again, this is a fundamental issue, is democracy only elections? Can you say, I had elections, so now it's a democracy? Of course, the answer is no. A true democracy is based on a solid civil society, on NGOs, on freedom of speech, on equality between men and women, on a variety of other issues, and not only on elections. I would suggest that it is much better to build the institutions, to change society in a positive way, and then to have elections. When one looks at the Gazan population and all the suffering of the civilians in that era, and at the same time in, in the West Bank, um, as an outsider, one wonders why there are not more uprisings, and especially with the PA in the past also having so many accusations of corruption and money disappearing and, and a low development in a place that receives the highest degree of foreign aid in the world. Why are there not more civil uprisings amongst regular suffering Gazans? Because I think that you have to look at it in a relative way. It is true that in Gaza and in the West Bank you have corruption and some people have a very miserable and poor life. But compared to the situation of their brothers and sisters in other Arab countries, this is paradise. So they look also at what is, at what is happening around and they know that their situation is much better than situations in other countries in the region. This is why you do not see uh, uprisings. And then an uprising 
in order to succeed, must bring also a political platform. There must be a political alternative. And it doesn't exist at the moment. It simply doesn't exist. Vi er på oljeberget og fanges av skjønnheten ved den gullforgylte og kunstnerisk sirlig utsmykkede klippedomen som vittner om arabernes islamske tilbedelse av Gud. Jeg går mellom graven og tenker på de arabiske og jødiske kvinnene som lever her. Jeg tenker på sønnene deres som har håp og drømmer for livet og tar meg i å sende en inderlig bønn opp til Gud om at det må bli fred igjen i Midtøsten. Do you think that the problem of ISIS uh, as well as the problem of jihadis now coming from Europe uh, will make Europe and the United States as well much more aware of the dangers and see those closer to home? And would this um, help Europe to better understand the threats that have existed for so long against Israel? Well, I should hope so. I should hope so. We have been saying for years and years that radical Islamism is a danger for the whole world. It has nothing to do with Israel. It has everything to do with a crusade against civilization, against Occidental democratic civilization, which is held by those organizations. They want to destroy the West. They want to destroy it from the outside and they want to destroy it from the inside. They live in European countries, but they do not believe in European values. They are very happy to receive European social security and social benefits, but at the same time they work very hard in order to destroy Europe from within. Europe is also changing and the West as a whole and we see the tendency towards leaving religion really, Christianity and, and having much more of a relativism that everybody should be able to do whatever they wish to do. One of the obstacles in that is that you lose the family, we have high rates of abortion, we're losing our children. Uh, and we're having a culture of hedonism. And it seems to me that, uh, to a degree, this is exactly what some of the Islamists also say, that uh, some of the negative sides to the Western civilization is what they want to come in with the Quran and, of course, also with the Sharia law, to impose the Sharia law in, in order to stop the flow of pornography, in order to uh, help women to become more uh, better and more moral, what do you say to that argument? Well, I'm not a, a specialist in morality or in morals, but I do know one thing. Uh, 2,000 years ago, one of the uh, most important Jewish sages, his name was Hillel, was asked, can you give what is the, the heart of your belief of the Jewish faith while standing on one foot. Just in a few seconds, what is the bottom line of Judaism? And his answer was, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. We had a beautiful example of that a few days ago in Israel in the city of Acre, of Akko. 
in which you have a large Jewish community and large Muslim community. And it so happens that this year, the holy day of Yom Kippur, which is a day of fast and atonement for Jews, coincided with the biggest festivity in the Muslim calendar. And the two communities spoke between them, and the Muslims agreed to wait with their festivity until the holy day of the Jews was over. And I think that this is beautiful. If you respect the other, the other will respect you. So it's about respect. And unfortunately, what I see in Europe now is a lack of respect. Uh, uh, this is a big challenge to the European countries. I think it has to do also with integration policies. It has to do with educational policies. Uh, it has to do with the fact that people are accepted into countries despite the fact that they never learn one word of the language of that country, that they live as if they copied their village, their Middle Eastern village, into the heart of a European city, and it doesn't work. This is a very, very big challenge to Europe. I think that this is the biggest challenge that Europe has had to face in a very long time. Look, we're sometimes victims, but I don't want to be a victim, right? In other words, we were victims in the Nazis, okay, where my people were destroyed and burned and, and, and killed. But the whole idea behind Israel is we go from being an object of history to becoming a subject of history. It's too long that we've read our history as a series of they killed us, they expelled us, they hurt us. That means that we're an object, that people are making decisions for us. What the Zionist movement said and what led us back from all these countries to Israel is the notion that we're now subjects of history, that we can make our own history. We traveled around the world. Most people who were expelled from their nation forgot about it, assimilated. We didn't. We came home.